Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Citizens of Lorcana podcast. A podcast where we invite you to be part of their world. We're your host, Jared, James, and today we are joined by Adara once again. Today we are talking about rules. So without further ado, let's jump into the episode. Hey everyone, welcome, welcome to another week. And you heard that right. Yes, we finally have rules. We finally understand how to play the game. And how long have we been waiting for this, James? I would say since, I don't know, late August of last year, when I first saw the very first press release for this thing, it's been a while. Yeah, same here. And I don't know about you, James and Adara, but my heart was about to stop beating due to all the excitement the day rules were released. It was coming like nonstop all day. Oh, totally. Like, I've not been here since August, but I've never seen the Discord so crazy. I've never seen people so excited about news and jumping on news as it's happening. It was just crazy to be a part of. It was the hypiest of hype moments I've ever seen in the Discord. And really, like, Lork got an early release of a card, the final ink theme, which, when, like, the guy took the pictures down, and then we were, like, everyone's, like, scrambling to figure out what's going on. And, uh, and then, so, were you guys there for, like, from the beginning of that, those screen caps dropping? Oh, yeah. Um, so... Yeah. So, you know, everyone was like, where are they? You know, is there, is, are they on Twitter? Are they on Facebook? You know, it's another Discord. And I think it We're was. going on Reddit, 4chan. And yeah. I don't know about you guys, but I started having people messaging me like, hey, do you have the images? Hey, I got them. Do you want to take a look at them? And they're like, this is for your eyes only until, you know, we get official word or whatnot. But uh, it was pretty crazy. What was your experience like, Adara? I'm curious to hear. On um, Rolls were you even Were you even around or were you like working? I was around. So I don't work on Mondays. And so I got to be in the Discord the entire day as it unfolded, seeing stuff come out. Um, I did have to drive at one point. And when I was driving, that's when the, the big um, article, not the GTM one, dropped. So... Um, I just basically got to sit back and absorb it all. And that was amazing. Yeah, uh, not much work got done. I was, I was at work and not much work got done that morning. Uh, so I'm not, I'm not going to lie. There was so much going on. I forgot that the Mickey Mouse was the reveal of the day. Yeah, I know. Like I genuinely forgot until you said that. <laughs> yep. So much has happened in just uh, three days. Um so the the magazine article started to get posted with uh, some pretty good screenshots, and it was like a like an article of for for retailers essentially of you know like here's the game, here's some here's a little bit of the uh, of the rules, uh, here's some pictures of each ink with some new cards, and it was a lot of information. Uh, but then uh, the the guy uh, I think it was Geeks First 
uh, was one of the original guys who got the magazine. He actually messaged Ravensburger and asked, like, hey, I've got this magazine. It's got all this stuff in it. Do you care if I post it publicly? And they're like, and they're like, as he said that they said, well, you know, I guess you can essentially. And I took that to mean like, we'd rather you not, but we can't tell you no because it's public consumption. You know, it's, it's out there. Um, so I think they basically locked down, had some meetings and, you know, from behind the scenes, I think this is essentially what happened is they were like, well, the rules are going to get out or at least parts of them. Let's, let's try and control the message. And then a few hours later, uh, I think it was maybe like less than two hours after the, the first, you know, really good photos of that magazine were out. Uh, the gamer posted an article with the quick start rules, both sides, and we now know how to play the game. Uh, we don't know a lot of the minutia of certain rules. We still don't know things like shift, uh, you know, how that exactly works, but we basically have like, I'd say like 95% of the rules right now. So, um, and from there it was basically, you know, people started, you know, everything started flowing from that it, it, and it got crazy with people starting to set up a tabletop simulator and people making proxies you're getting ready to do like what, how can we put together decks to start learning you know playing which cards are now like do we know are good now and which ones do we aren't sure you know once we get to plan it was like it was so much okay so let's talk some rules shall we in the Gamer article, they have this really nice infographic breaking down each section of, pl of play. And Adora, why don't you start us off with how to play the game? Absolutely. So this is super exciting for me to see just as my first introduction to the rules of ATCG. So it seems pretty standard, um, in my opinion, of uh, the each turn for a player is divided into two different parts, and a player takes their whole entire turn before passing the turn to the next player. So those two parts are uh, beginning phase and main phase. So starting with beginning phase, um, we have the ready portion. So ready is where you turn your exerted cards back upright. So that's coming from a previous turn. Then you set um, where you check for effects that happen at the start of your turn and follow those instructions. I'm pretty excited to see like what that could entail related to cards and things. And then you draw. So you draw a card from the top of your deck. Um, and of note, the first player does not get to draw a card on this part of their first turn. So then we go into the main phase. So in the main phase, um, probably the most important is that once per turn, you put a card face down in your inkwell. So I think we'll talk a little bit more about that later on what an inkwell is and what that means, but that's pretty important. Then you can take any action, any number of actions on your turn, as, as many as you want um, before passing it. So those actions include playing a card, you can use a character ability that doesn't require exerting the card, so turning it to the side. You can use an item ability, and then you can also take, uh, they call these actions with a character that's been in play since the start of your turn, because it's a special rule related to you can't exert a card that you have just played. So in order to do that, um, actions that can be taken when you exert are questing, challenging an opponent's exerted character or using an, abil an ability that requires them to exert. So that's the basic breakdown of what uh, each player's turn looks like. 
And then also of note, when you're starting a game, there is, I believe it's called a mulligan rule, uh, which is pretty exciting from what I could tell from most people. They were excited about this. So that one says um, each player can alter their starting hand one time. So if they don't like the seven cards that they have been given, you can actually select which cards you don't like from those and put just those cards at the bottom of your deck and draw additional cards of the same number and then reshuffle your deck. So it's a it's a single mulligan, but it's really nice that you can keep part of your hand and discard the rest of it and try to get new cards. The example they gave I really liked as well with being... It, you might want to do this if you don't get a whole lot of inkwell icon cards for reasons we'll discuss later. So really exciting ways to to get started and kick off these games. Yeah, because in other games, when you mulligan, like in My Hero Academia, well, it was interesting there, but if you're the first player to go and you mulliganed, you have to put your whole hand back. So if you drew a dead hand, you put it back, but you also have the ability to draw a dead hand again. And in that case, you're just stuck. So to have the ability to choose which cards to put back and uh, how many you want to draw just gives you a whole lot more uh, ability to control your opening hand and the cards you'll see. And I, and I, I think, really like that rule. Yeah, I think that's part of the, I, the, the mission statement, essentially, that I see as this game of being easy to learn and family-friendly, uh, which is you don't want people playing your game to feel bad when they just kick off the game. So letting the mulligan basically be pick your best stuff and then draw some more and hope you get more best stuff is, is really nice. It's really, it really feels good to, to start the game with essentially a better than average hand because you picked what you wanted to keep. Yeah. Yeah. It makes me feel like I have a lot of power in my seven card starting hand, even though at some point I'm still left with, you know, up to the, the statistics of my deck and everything. And the main phase being where you have all these different uh, things that you can do in any combination, in any order, in any amount, as long as you have the ink or the cards or whatever it may be to do it, uh, that also is where a lot of the, the decision-making, the, the, compl- the complexity, and everything about this game, I think, is where it's going to be, is you know, deciding everything that you have to do on your turn to get the best possible turn out of what you have available. So I just wanted to add two more things to this section. Uh, when I was on the Glimmer Gang pod, one of the comments that you made, James, stuck out to me. In this beginning phase, you have ready, set, draw, because you're using ink to draw your glimmers. So I don't know if that's why they went with it, but it was pretty clever. I'm going to um, say 99% sure that's why they went with ready, set, draw as the, <laughs> the beginning phase. Because, yes, I mean, there's other ink... And uh, and other like drawing uh, essentially puns or comments in other uh, parts of the rules. So I think that was on purpose. So I pretty think it's pretty cool. The other thing I wanted to comment when I was going through this uh, play player guide, it really reminded me of like a high school essay where it's like you tell them what you're going to say and then you tell them and then you at the end you tell them what you told them again. Like so as we're going through this, it might sound like we're hitting things on repeat, but that's just the way that the player guide is laid out, the rules. Yeah, it's written in such a way that you read through it and you can come away remembering the things that you're supposed to remember from it. Not that there's a whole lot to remember. This game really is 
pretty simple in pretty in simple. the setup and in you know I mean I, I after uh, you know when I got home that night and I I talked to to my wife Beth about it I mean like I essentially told her everything in less than ten minutes about the game like this is how it's played and it's like it was so easy uh, so we're going to move on to the resource system which is called the inkwell so this is where uh, you're going to put all of your resources the the cards you play that you turn into ink and essentially what you're going to do is once per turn you take a card from your hand that has the flourish we used to call it but now we know it's the inkwell icon uh, around the hexagon in the upper left corner those are the ones you can turn into ink uh, and so you take a card you pick which one out of your hand you show it to your opponent or opponents and you put it in your inkwell face down in front of you and it becomes ink, one ink. Uh, and the other side of the card, whatever it may be, it doesn't matter anymore because it doesn't matter. Um, and also a lot of uh, questions about, you know, how the colors come into it and whether or not you can only spend, like, red ink to play red cards. That does not matter. Ink is ink, and the color of the card does not matter. So if you have five inks down, you can play any five-cost card doesn't matter what color it is i think that's that's basically it um i will point out something from way back i think it was in september october when it was some of the early podcasts started that we talk don't talk about uno podcast i think it was david who came up with the idea that because the icon was on the back of the card that that was what the resource was going to be and that it was going to be ink so that was the first person I heard say that, so I wanted to shout out to him for actually knowing that that was what, or at least theorizing that that was what the ink was going to be, and he was right. I don't know if he had it right exactly how it was being used and how you were doing it, but he had the idea right. The back of the card is your ink. Yeah, those were wild days back then with all of our speculating. We were bound to be right about something. Right? We had so many guesses. Uh, it's so curious to me, like... They have such an emphasis on the fact that you can only have two inks. So I thought for sure it was going to be like uh, Pokemon or Magic where your resources were tied to the colors of cards that you were playing. But now we know that the two ink limit is strictly just to restrict uh, your deck building options. So everybody doesn't run the same decks. Yeah, to, to give you some, making you have to put some thought into how you're building your deck to limit what you can put you know, you, so you can't just pick and choose, like, all of the best cards. Because, you know, something in Amber make, may work really well with Steel, and then there's a Ruby card that also works well with Amber and Steel, and you're like, well, I want to put that in too, but now you can't, so you have to find a way to use just those two to make that thing work that you wanted to put together. And, you know, they may we've only seen 20% of the cards at this point. Uh, so there may be stuff where something is available in every color, even though it's maybe done slightly differently. Um, but it's 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 definitely going to be cool to to see what people can come up with using just the two inks. I was both a little disappointed and relieved that we don't have to worry about specific ink colors for playing cards. Uh, disappointed because yeah, there was so much emphasis placed on only two ink colors, and it it seemed like it was really going to be a thing. Um, but then also relieved because now as a player, I don't have to keep track of that. Like ink is ink, much easier to keep track of, of single resources. Um, I think the thing that was really disappointing 
disappointing for me, like I'm still excited about it, was the fact that the ink, like the cost on the front of the card has absolutely nothing to do once you turn it into ink, that we can take a nine cost card and it turns into a single ink. That's something I think I'm going to really have to mull over and just remember that it, it doesn't do me any good necessarily to play a higher cost card to get more ink because that's not a thing. It's just it's a single ink. And I think that'll take a little bit of getting used to for me. That is a little weird where you're like, well, I guess I'm going to throw down this Maleficent as one ink. And it's like that just that might feel bad until you get used to it. Like, I don't want to get rid of the big cards. For but that's sure. the other thing that I really like about this resource system. I was talking about in My Hero Academia how you could draw dead hands. In this game, you really don't draw any dead hands because just about any card can be used as ink as long as if it has the inkwell symbol around it. And I think that that's actually really neat. I mean, like you said, James, they're trying to make this as easy and accessible as possible trying to take out all those friction points so that the the meat of the game is based around the strategy. So uh, next, let's turn our attention to playing the cards. So this is the actual, <clears throat> you've readied your uh, play mat, you've drawn your card, you've done your abilities. So now how do you take a card from your hand and put it on the table? Well, James already talked about the inkwell. Playing a card just means taking it from your hand and putting it face up on the table. So each card has that ink cost, like Adara was talking about. Maleficent costs nine ink. And that cost is in the hexagon in the upper left corner. To play that card, all you have to do is exert the same amount of ink in your inkwell, and then you can drop it on the table. Uh, when you play a character card, you put it on the table above your inkwell, and uh, there's this term that's called summoning in sickness in Disney Lorcana. They're really trying to make this term let their ink dry be a thing because I remember on Twitter they used that terminology a lot. So basically you can't use your character on the first turn. Now, on the other hand, with item cards, you can use those on your first turn. So that's kind of neat. Um, but same thing, when you play an action card, you put it on above your inkwell and then it just sits there until you're ready to use it so anything stand out to you guys about playing a card i don't think so i mean it's pretty simple um i mean it's it's no i mean it's it's so simple i mean it's like i here's the ink i have here's what i can afford and so this is the card i'm gonna play and i think again that the complexity is in how you choose to use your ink and when you choose to play cards and the, the strategy of when you put down certain cards because you know you're going to have to wait a turn for characters. Or when you put down an item and you can use it right away or an action that you can play right away. So uh, it's, it's, it's actually just like, it's just so simple. You just, you play it and you, and yeah. you move on to your next step. I like that the order of playing can matter. So for example, if you choose, you could start your your main phase by putting a card in the inkwell and you would then have that for use on that turn 
or you could just wait till the end of your turn and, and put an ink in there. I, I'm not sure why that would be advantageous, but I like how you, you can play your resource and use it this turn. Something that they have done, like you said, Jared, is that idea of letting the ink dry. And I like that that doesn't specifically apply to the ink well. Like ink is ready to use once you've put it in there. And I think that makes things really easy for a newer player um, and just limiting the ink drying to those glimmers yeah. of the characters. So one other thing they talked about real quick is what are ready and exerted cards? It's a term you used already, Adara. So a ready card is face up, your character is ready to go. Um, it can perform an action. After it's performed an action, you turn it 90 degrees to the side and it's considered considered exerted. So pretty straightforward there. Yeah, and along the lines of that, we also have a new card type that we have long expected to exist, um, songs. So we've kind of been waiting for them ever since we had what everyone is like 90% sure is the Hakuna Matata reveal. Uh, and so we have these songs, which are a type of action cards, so they're a subtype, and they have a really special role with them related to playing them. So it says that each song says that it has on it, it has the words, a character with cost X or more can exert to sing this song for free. So, for example, we have the One Jump Ahead song card that was revealed in the Quick Start Guide. And that one says a character with cost two or more can exert to sing this song for free. So it's an interesting way to play an action without having to use any ink from your inkwell, which can be really advantageous based on what you have on the board or what you can play that turn. So I think that's really exciting. Um, however, the big caveat there is that the character does have to exert in order to sing the song. So a character can't sing a song the same turn that you play it because of that ink drying. So what were your guys' thoughts on the songs finally being confirmed? Well, first off, I was sure songs were going to be in this game the whole time. And so it was nice to be vindicated. When everyone's like, they just meant that's just PR speak. They just mentioned that that's what it's in the press release. And I'm like, no, there's going to be songs. It was so, so clearly in there. It was, but there's so much, there was so much stuff in there that, you know, you're like, is it or isn't it? But I'm like, it really feels like there's going to be songs. It just doesn't, it doesn't feel like it would be Disney without songs. So I'm very happy there are songs. <laughs> Um, but the, yeah, the, the whole, like either you can pay the ink cost like normal, or you can exert a character to sing the song for free. It's just really cool that they've added again, just a little bit of spice to how you can play a card and get some stuff out. Uh, and this being an action, it's like, it's a one-time use thing, but it's just really nice that there's like this little extra thing. And, and since it's songs, it's, it's so nice that they that it's thematic and how you actually do it is having a character sing. I keep going back to a quote from back in the early days from an employee that worked on it. And after she left the company, she said that Lorcano was this fun, simple to learn card game, but with a twist. And I keep, especially now that rules have been revealed, I'm sitting here racking my brain. What is the twist? As far as I can tell, paying for actions with, uh, exerting a character like being able to bring out an action card in that way maybe that's a twist i don't know but for me it does seem like that might be one of the mechanically unique things about this game 
well. Yeah, and the question I actually had for you guys too, this is our only song card, but I did notice that the cost of the character has to be equivalent to the cost of this card to play. Do you guys think that we'll maybe see a, a correlation between the two where in order to sing the song, the character has to be at least the same cost as the action? Maybe. Well, I think so. The, the the thing that would make that different is because of the way, you know, basically since TCGs are all math, essentially, um, there's always a formula they use to determine like cost when there are certain levels of abilities or attack and defense or uh, strength and willpower in this case. Um, so if a particular ability on an, on a song is going to be really powerful, they may require a higher cost card than the actual cost. But then the cost would be that too, right? So maybe it will always match. Um, but I guess we'll just have to wait and see. Uh, yeah, I mean, that would be interesting if they never had it be different. But I don't know. It's just where it says that you can have a character sing. Like, I don't know if it was more than one character, you'd think that they would specify that um, because they are very specific with their language. So I tend to think that it'll be a four cost card has to be sung. A four cost song has to be sung by a four cost card. Oh, that's interesting. I I wonder if in like maybe in a year or two, maybe there are you have to sing a duo, (laughs) you know, duet. (laughs) <laughs> so maybe two, and jazz yeah exactly maybe, maybe, world. You have, maybe you have maybe certain songs you're gonna have to have two characters sing and they both have to have the same cost or half the cost or whatever that would be so cool if they started adding things like that uh, that's that would be neat that would be oh. all right so uh next up we have the well i guess the two most important things that you're going to be doing on your turn which is questing and challenging um and so uh, we can finally put to rest the question that has been asked for months. What is challenging? So first off, we're going to talk about questing, though. Uh, to quest with one of your characters, you exert them, turn them sideways, and you gain lore equal to their lore value, the, the lore pips that are on the right-hand side uh, of the card um, down in the bottom right. And you earn that instantly. That's that's as soon as you earn, as soon as you rotate it and say you're questing, you earn that lore. One, two, three, four, whatever it is. And you just have to remember that you can't quest with a character the same turn you play them. Um, so it's, it's easy. I mean, earning lore is, I mean, uh, mechanically easy. Uh, obviously difficult and uh, going to have some drawbacks, as you'll find out in a second, if you do it. Um, and that is challenging. Uh, questing is how you win the game, but challenging is how you slow your opponents down uh, or how they slow you down. So first, what you do when you're challenged is you exert one of your characters to send them into the challenge. Then you choose one of your opponent's exerted characters to challenge. You cannot challenge a ready character. You can only challenge exerted characters, which is why, again, if you've quested or that your opponent has quested, they have now left themselves open to a challenge. If they haven't quested, you can't challenge. Uh, So then both characters basically attack each other, and they deal damage to each other based on their strength, Uh, and then um, you add that many damage counters to each character based on the strength of the other character in the challenge. So damage is done 
uh, to each other in challenges, and some card effects can affect damage. Uh, like they may, some cards may be, say that they can add two damage when they when they attack in a challenge or whatever it is. Or some cards like uh, Hook has the uh, um, the keyword Challenger, um, and that adds bonuses to his strength when challenging. Um, so whatever it may be, you put those character damage counters on there, and they stay on the character until an effect removes them or the character is banished. And a character is banished when the damage counters on them reaches or exceeds their willpower amount. And then your character, when banished, goes into your discard pile. Uh, it's pretty simple. Again, it's basically you're sending characters to fight. And when they fight, they do damage to each other. It's not just one-sided. And then whatever ends up actually reaching that threshold of willpower, they're banished. Yeah, I can't say I really have much to add to this section. It is pretty straightforward. I was so happy that you gained Lauren instantly. I know on the Discord, there was a lot of talk of maybe you needed to survive a challenge in order to gain the lore. So I, as, as a player, I'm pretty happy being able to say that I could exert and immediately gain that lore. Even if I lose that character, I, I feel like I can accomplish something. So it just made me feel good as a, a starting person that there there is an action I can take that pushes me towards the win con that I can gain momentum with that. Yeah, and, and I know a lot of people are also saying, you know, why why can't I stop you before you do that? Because I can't challenge you until you're exerted, and you can't exert when you come into play. And so, therefore, you can't exert till the second turn. So that means I can't challenge you until you've done that. Well, I think that, again, is going back to wanting this game to be fun to play, and it's no fun to always be putting cards out to immediately have them get wiped off the board. So give us a chance to have some fun by earning things and then put into the cards things that will allow you to uh, sidestep some of those to get rid of that character before they do it more than once. Um, whatever it may be, like, again, everyone's pointing to Elsa, who is a card that allows you to exert your opponent's card when you exert Elsa, which allows you to then challenge them if that's what you want to do. Uh, it also... Um, you know, it's just it just gives you there's since we've seen so few cards, I'm sure there's going to be other cards that like maybe even items or actions that will exert a card for you so that you can leave it open for attack and then take care of it. Or again, there's dragon fire that can just banish a card. Uh, so you have ways we already know that there's ways to take care of that. But it's not a given that on every single time you put a card out that your opponent can then on the very next turn do something about it. So that's nice that your card is out there, at least for a, an extra turn to where you can do something with it. Yeah, the complexity of the game comes from the cards. Yeah. <clears throat> I was going to say, conversely, with the Moana card that was released today, uh, she's really awesome because you could send your princesses on quests to gain lore, and then you uh, play Moana, and she can ready all those ones up. And that leaves her susceptible to attack. But she has a pretty big body. She's uh, one strength, six willpower. So she can probably survive a hit or two. So there are going to be ways to sidestep that, um, which actually leads right into the next section, which is using abilities. We've kind of talked about this quite a bit, and it's pretty straightforward. But every character and items have abilities on them. For example, with Robin Hood, one of his abilities is Feed the Poor which says that if you have less cards in your hand than an opponent, you can draw a card, which is pretty awesome. That's an ability. Um, 
the abilities are played in the main phase of the game and you pay the cost that's associated with them and you go from there. So uh, one of the things I thought was interesting in the rule book, though, is it did give us a um, stealth card reveal with Beast Mirror, which has the ability Show Me, which reads Exert, Pay 3 Ink. If you have no cards in your hand, draw a card. So I think that will actually be a pretty good card. And then ending the game, we talked about this already. You have to gain 20 more, 20 lore or more to win. Do you guys have anything to add for using character or item abilities there? It's pretty straightforward. Yeah. Yeah. And we've talked about it a lot, actually. Yeah. And and it's just read the card because some abilities are, as you mentioned, exerting and then paying a cost. Some are just exerting. Some are when it's played. Uh, Some are actually, are there some yet that are on banishment? I think there is, right? Like Corella? Yeah. Yeah. So there are some that are on banishment. So basically you have this, this you're going to have this range of abilities. You just have to read it, see what it says and follow the rules. Um, and One then, we haven't seen is in the set phase. It says if you have characters with set phase abilities, you know, play those then. I'll be curious to see what those abilities are. Yeah, I know. That's like a that's a mystery. It's like what we haven't seen any yet. <laughs> but then there's also the other uh, win condition which I think a lot of people have been discussing whether or not it's a viable strategy in Lorcana because it is in other games. And that's way back in our uh, TCG terms, we had the, uh, the play strategy of mill. And that is where you basically force your opponent to just keep discarding cards off of the top of their deck until they run out of cards. And then they lose because when you run out of cards on your deck, the next time you draw in Lorcana, you lose because you have no more cards. And so, uh, it's essentially now, now most people think that the game will never get to that point if because the the deck size is 60 cards and most people think that the game isn't going to last more than six to ten turns um and so you know most likely you're not going to run out of cards but if you ever do get in a game where people are doing all kinds of control installing and whatever else you may get to the end of your deck and whoever has that happen first they lose even if no one's reached 20 lore not only that with the size of the deck I just think Mill is not a fun game uh, to play. I've played against decks that do that, and like I just get furious. I just want to, like people talk about this term, scoop. I do. I just want to scoop. And I can't picture Disney and Robinsberger putting this uh, game mechanic into a game that's supposed to be fam- family-friendly. Um, I think we'll see alternate ways of doing things like Mill, such as the Aladdin card, that was revealed where when you quest with Aladdin, you gain two lore, but you also subtract two lore from your opponents, which prolongs the game for them, which means they have to draw more cards. Could you quickly define the term scoop so I could add that to my TCG term dictionary? (laughs) Scoop is just what it sounds like. You're at the table, you get angry and you just want to scoop your cards up and leave or go on to the next game because you know, you're going to lose. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, (laughs) that makes sense. And yeah, like you said, we haven't seen any cards really that are massive discard force your opponent to discard this many cards. So I'm I'm pretty hopeful that it it seems like a win condition that I think it would be in Robinsberger and Disney's best interest to not push people towards that, especially at the beginning, and leave it more towards the gaming lore, I think will lead to a more positive experience for players. 
Now, next up, we have uh, Adar is going to tell us about something that I was also con- very, very uh, sure was going to be in the game. And I was, again, one of two things I have been proven right on, thankfully. So <laughs> let us know what it is. Well, you called it, James, and I cannot honestly believe that it exists, but we have multiplayer. So it is Garrett, uh, it has been confirmed that it is definitely a two-player game, but that you can have three or more players playing with you as well. And Ravensburger even details how to handle that. So the rules remain the exact same. The only thing that changes is it you pass the turn to the player on your left. So I think that that makes a lot of sense. I think every other board game I've ever done is pass your turn to the player on the left if you're playing multiplayer. So not a big surprise there. And then also of note is that any ability that requires more than one player to do something at the same time, um, you start with the player whose turn it is and then proceed to the left until every single affected player has done their action. Like you just mentioned, Jared, there's that Aladdin card where you gain two lore and everyone else loses two lore. I'm just imagining, you know, like a four-player game where now all of a sudden you've put yourself ahead two lore and you've subtracted two from everybody else around you. It's going to be an exciting thing to see additional cards that could affect multiple players as well as just uh, the other player if you're doing one-on-one. But we are going to be able to have groups of people, and it's already been happening on Tabletop Simulator. Yeah, Something tells me that Aladdin card will not last long in a multiplayer game. I think people are going to want to get rid of it pretty quickly. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, they'll get it once, you know, because you have to, I think it's you have to banish a card uh, in order to activate that ability. And so the first time you use Aladdin to banish someone and you get that really awesome four lore shift, uh, you know, four lore change advantage, um, everyone, one of the players you're playing against, if it's more than one, somebody's going to be like, I have to take that out because I do not want to have that happen again. Um, Because you, not only do you banish a character, which whoever you banished, you know, they they lose a character, but they also have now a four lore loss overall. So it's crazy. Um, And that basically gives you, because you can either quest or challenge with a card, it now lets you both quest essentially and challenge which is awesome. So um, do we have any other comments about uh, about multiplayer? So next up is deck building, which we've gone into in the past, but there are specific rules that they have put in place and they're actually pretty easy and pretty common. Um, so the, the exact rules, uh, first of all, of building a deck, we've talked about how to build a deck, whether you build a pre-constructed deck, one of the starter decks, you just take a pre-constructed deck and you make a few changes to it. Or if you start from scratch, build your own deck or find someone's deck that they've been using, like a meta deck, and build that out of cards that you have, whatever it may be. You build your deck the way that you want. And then the rule is your deck has to have at least 60 cards in it. There is no notification of how what the maximum is. Um, your deck can't contain more than four copies of any one card. So, and again, this is another stealth reveal of a card. You can have four copies of Elsa Snow Queen, and you can have four copies of Elsa Queen Regent, which we haven't seen that card yet. But basically, there can be, if they release 15 different Mickeys, you can have four of each of those 15 different Mickeys in your deck if you wanted, as long as they're from two different inks. So 
It's pretty cool, yeah. And that's the other restriction, which we already knew, is you can have either one or two inks in your deck. And no legendary rule. And what the legendary rule is is that you can only have one of that card. Is I think it's either in your deck or in play. And that ne- neither one of those apply. It's basically you can play as many cards as you want up to the four-character limit, and you can have up to four of any one character or item or action in your deck. Yeah, pretty awesome. Pretty sh- Again, I'm sensing a theme here. Pretty straightforward. I mean, if a bunch of us noobs can look at this and be like, oh, yeah, I know what that means. <laughs> you know, I, I understand that. This Okay, that's simple. Yeah, I get that. And just keep Which moving is- on to each thing. Like, yeah, there's, there's, nothing, there's nothing like confusing about that so which i have to say i appreciate because i've shared this experience before but when i learned how to play my hero academia card game it was so confusing and i watched all sorts of videos i watched gameplay it wasn't until i actually went to the store and had people like walk me through it that i understood it and so to have a game that's like simple to understand but also you can already see even with what, we're at 35, 38 cards now? With less than 20% of the cards revealed at the first set, you can already see that there's a lot of strategy that's going to go into how you build your decks and how you play your cards. And I think that's... I really appreciate that. Yeah, the four-card playset is super nice for deck-building purposes. Maybe not so nice for the people who have said that they want to collect full play sets of the cards. Because yeah. now all of a sudden you need your four legendaries. Yeah, I might need to revise my goal. <laughs> <laughs> so the manual then goes on to just do a quick recap. And I'll just go over it real quick. But we've already talked about everything. The turn order at a glance. You have the beginning phase. Ready, set, draw. Ready your cards. Uh, activate the set effects and draw a new card. Then you have your main phase, which is uh, any one in any order of these uh, uh, actions. You can add a card to your inkwell, play a card, activate an item, play a character ability that doesn't require exert with a character that was in play during the setup step. So they are already in play. You can quest or challenge or use an ability that requires exert. So pretty straightforward. Anything you guys want to add to that, or should we jump into the organized play? Um, I'll just quickly say that this particular like panel of the infographic, I am probably going to print this out and maybe even laminate it. Again, it's it's not hard to remember, but this is basically those cards that are in all of those board games that's here's what you do on your turn. And just as a reminder for myself or when I'm teaching people the game at my LGS, I think this is going to be the thing to have as a quick overview to help teach people. It's so condensed and yet it really covers pretty much everything you need to know while you're playing the game. I just wanted to say that I am excited to start playing. You know, I just can't <laughs> wait. I mean, this this is just looks like so much fun. So I, I know that, like, you know, Jared says, you know, it's going to be like there's a learning curve and it's going to be like how building decks and learning to play, there's still going to be that learning how to play. But it, I think it's going to be a lot of fun uh, doing all of that. So can't wait. Absolutely. So let's talk about the thing we're also all excited about. I was going to have Adara cover this section, but she said, 
I cannot cover this section because I will talk for a half hour. So we are talking about organized play and there's reasons to be excited. Well, number one, you've never participated. So like even going is just super exciting, but they, we got a couple of tidbits of information. One was from the GTM article. Um, and it's talking about how um, local game stores can host tournaments or leagues. And when you play, you can earn what's called league points, win or lose. So just by showing up, even if you lose, you're going to earn points. Like you're not going to leave empty handed by participating in casual Disney matches, best two or three games, and through Lorcana related activities, such as teaching someone how to play which for me is huge. I plan on spending some time at my local game store teaching people how to play the game. Prizes are awarded to most of the participants. Oh, that's interesting. Um, and those with the most points in each round are given a modest additional prize. Robinsberger plans tournaments in the future to give fans bigger opportunities to prove their talent for gameplay. Super like leading up to like a world championship, but just like giving everyone at their local sh- shop three months to compete against each other and see who comes out at the end with the most points essentially and get some prizes, which I think is really cool. I don't know. When I hear league, I think of Pokemon. That's what I think of. I think of high level competition. That's going to set you on the path to being able to challenge the final four. Um, But yeah, in this article, it talks about league play and, but, but the other thing that I mentioned is the prize support. I said that you're going to have cards which they already said there's not going to be any mechanically unique cards as price support. So I'm led to believe that it's going to be alternate art cards or like cards with a stamp on it that says winner. I don't know. But it also said that there's going to be pins uh, like the Disney pins that people collect as prizes. And it said other prize support. So um, I just love how committed they are to um, fostering community within these local game stores. Yeah, I am so excited about the 12-week format. As somebody who works most evenings, I was terrified of missing out on all of these Lorcana events at the areas around me. And all of a sudden, with the idea of a 12-week format, I feel like it's going to be more attainable for me to do events and and maybe not call in sick to work, you know. (laughs) Um, So pretty pretty excited about having a more extended period of time to kind of do this uh, competing with each other I love that they have said that you can gain points by teaching people how to play, that it's not just playing these games against one another. And I think just every every facet of how they are approaching this makes me really happy as somebody who's coming into the TCG space. I know I think you had mentioned, Jared, that it'll just be interesting to see is if there's enough prize support to kind of keep the more competitive people in and the more serious people in this as well. Yeah, and when I was reading this, it said that each round they are given a modest additional prize. So for me, um, like when I was at Battle Spirit Saga launch event, and this is a launch event, so maybe it's different. But first place got $25,000, you know? Um, And, you know, I dropped after round three, and I got like this cheap little plastic case to hold these cores in and... Uh, one little card as a promo but uh, if the prize for attaining the most is just a modest additional prize support 
I think it's going to limit the amount of um, cutthroats <laughs> who are at your local tournaments. I don't know. That's that's the way I'm reading it. Yeah, and I think that's the point to start is to 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 make sure that there's a welcoming environment that you don't have all of those high, you know, high reaching players who like have to win every single thing to make sure they get the most points. Like if if the final thing at the end of 12 weeks is a is a cool promo card, cool. You know, I'm I'm all for it. I'm going to try and get that promo card, you know, but I'm not going to like you know, try and, you know, bash down every single, you know, 10 year old kid that's in there. I'm going to, I'm going to play them for fun too. I mean, it's, it's, you're going to earn basically points just by showing up and playing. It doesn't work. You know, you shouldn't, you should be there to foster the environment and not worry so much about it. Now, I think it's going to grow into a more competitive thing. And I think that's what they want. They want to grow into competition, not start out that way so that people can get used to it and come in and, and feel like it's more welcoming. And then those who choose to do that will then take that path. And then people who don't can keep coming back for those weeklies and those friendly things and not worry so much about the league play. You know, I mean, obviously, I, I mean, I would love to find a store where, like, they hold, like, two different nights, one of them for the friendlies where it's just come and play, you know, and then the other one where you come and you actually compete for the league. I think that would be cool. And on the topic of growing into the more competitive side, I think this really sets itself up well for possibly moving into eventually hosting regionals for those people that have the highest points in the region. So while that's not specifically said here yet, there is going to be points and there's going to be a way of tracking that. And that could very easily lend itself to higher forms of competitive play in the future for Lorcana. Absolutely. Okay. So that was quite a bit, a whirlwind of three days of news and cards and rules and people playing on Tabletop Simulator and so much going on. So we barely even touched on the other aspect of the GTM article, which is all those card reveals. And today, the drop of uh, a press release with a bunch of new product photos and the fact that, as Jared mentioned, he completely forgot that we started the week off with the sort new Sorcerer Mickey uh, Amethyst reveal. And, I mean, there was so much. So we're going to cover that probably next week um, because this was just you know, talking about the rules was the thing. We had to do it. But we do have some things that are coming up, uh, some, some information, some news, and also more things about gameplay and... Uh, Jared, where are we going in two weeks? Yeah, I feel like we should talk about this. We are going <laughs> to Gamma. I I can't even tell you what it stands for. Game something Manufacturer Association. Um, but they have an expo every year. It's in Reno, Nevada this year. And then next year it's moving out to Tennessee. Um, we initially thought that this was where gameplay was going to be revealed. But we have learned that it's going to be revealed possibly two days earlier and online simultaneously at a convention in France called the Gala TCG Convention or whatever. So that'll be neat. But James and I will be at Gamma, and we're super excited to be there. Um, the whole team is going to be there as far as I understand. The design team, the I hope the like business side of the team is there too so I can talk to them about their approach for um, 
getting local game stores to carry Lorcana. Um, and I'm just excited. I hope we get interviews. I hope we get to play the game. Hope we get to touch like some cards. Um, I'm just super excited. What, what about you, James? Uh, yeah. <laughs> All I'm the a, above. <laughs> I'm a little excited to go. And uh, like you said, I mean, they're go- we're going to be able to, they already said there's going to be the demos. We talked about that already about there being demos there. And I'm just hoping that we actually get to sit down and yes. demo the game physically, not with our eyeballs. Um, <laughs> and, you know, I, I can't wait to talk to them and, you know, hear whatever they can, they can spill now about, you know, like rules and, and design and what they're, I know that since this is a retailer and manufacturer convention, I'm hoping that they are, uh, prepared to share a lot more about the OP program and what they're doing Me for too. shops and, you know, what we can do, uh, at our local game shop to, to facilitate those things. I, Cause I know Jared, you're planning on being like the guy for your shop. So plan. you really want to need to know what's going on. Cause you're <laughs> planning on doing all of that. Um, yes. So yeah, I just, I just hope that we, and there's going to be a few, uh, people that we know already that are going to be there that we're going to get to see. Liam from the Lumineers. Yep. He's going to be my roomie, actually. So I'm pretty excited about that. So I, I, it's just going to be a great few days, and uh, I'm hoping that we get to bring back just a ton of information for everybody. Yeah. How cool would it be if we could video gameplay? Yeah. How cool would it be if we could video like Stephen Ryan playing? I don't know. I don't know. I'm getting crazy here, but <laughs> that would be awesome. That would be awesome. Yeah. No, I can't wait. Whatever we get to do will be great. But otherwise, is there any other news we wanted to hit on specifically? My brain's I think about that's enough. <laughs> yeah, I say my brain's about fried at this point. You know, it's it was so much. And I didn't even prepare any Disney Jeopardy because I figured we'd be going over time anyway. So the first episode without Jeopardy. Uh, no, hey, let me... it needs to be a landmark because it's the rules episode. <laughs> I like I like your spirit there. I like that thinking. So, okay. So since we don't have Jeopardy, let's just ask ask the question: What of all of the cards are you most excited now that you know the rules? Are you most excited to be able to put not necessarily put in your deck if it's not the color you wanted, but just that you think is just an awesome card, or that you definitely are going to be putting into a deck, or maybe even change the color you were planning? I originally wanted to play Sapphire Amethyst. Just because I liked the colors, I liked the cards. I still like Sapphire, but I'm thinking I really like how it might pair with Amber. I really, really like Stitch's ability to draw cards. I feel like card draw is going to be a really powerful mechanic in this game. And with Stitch's ability, you play a one or two cost card, you exert them, and you get to draw a card. Like it's so amazing. But then Robin Hood and Maurice both have card draw as well. But the thing I like about Robin Hood is he has the ability to challenge those evasive characters. And paired with Amber, once again, they seem to have the cards that heal your character. So it might make Robin Hood a little more beefy when he goes up against Mickey and Tigger. And who's the other one? <laughs> Goofy. Back to back to back. What about you, Adara? Hard one. I, I feel like I switch back and forth all the time. I had a ridge, 
I think where, where I had landed was I was looking at, I think it was Ruby Amethyst, but with Moana being revealed, I am really liking the idea that Moana basically supports me trying to get all those Disney princesses into my deck and have those to play. And those are some of my favorite characters from the Disney IPs. So Moana is looking pretty good as an individual card. And I just, I rotate between all of the different ink types every single day. <laughs> I, I have the same issue. I have never landed on a specific set of colors. Uh, I just wanted to see more. And kind I kind of want to build like at least four or five different decks. And sure. so one, one specific color really hasn't stood out. But I just, I knew I wanted to build essentially a frozen deck with that Elsa card that we already saw. And now I'm like, okay, so now I know that that card is even better because of the, the ability to exert. And I know that I am going to be an impatient type of player and want to go after my opponent uh, when I normally couldn't. So I think basically Amethyst is going to maybe be the color that I'm going to build on and then try the different combinations of different colors to see which ones works out. I'm really like, liking Emerald with uh with all the cards that have been revealed recently under those so but i mean aladdin's ability is so good and and as you mentioned moana's ability is so good they they really did a good job making these lead characters in these decks really nice characters so it's tough yeah i i'm i mean and, and my original uh wild idea of playing the movies with the deck I think is becoming more and more possible with the way the game is designed. So we, we shall see if I can do that someday. <laughs> oh boy. Yeah. Just build a straight right. amethyst uh, frozen deck and just like freeze everybody. Well, I really enjoyed our conversation, Adara. I'm super grateful that you were able to join us and give us your take on the rules. Um, if people want to find you, uh, where can they find you? Yeah, I'm at Discord as Adara of Lorcana or just Adara. And then I am on Twitter as Adara as well. But if you look for my ad, it's OCHEM102. Um, so you see me, say hi. I retweet a lot of stuff. So that's mostly what you'll see coming out from me. <laughs> and for me, if you liked what you heard, you can subscribe to our podcast. You can like our YouTube channel. Uh, you can share it. Um, you can follow me personally on Twitter at Citizens of Lorcana. And James, where can they find you? You can find me everywhere at Dan Regal on all social medias. Uh, and you can check out geekshotphoto.com for links for my wife and I for photography and other things that we do like conventions. Uh, so, uh, everybody, uh, thank you all for joining us, and we'll see you later. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.